0: Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas about how to build happier habits into your everyday life. So this week, we'll talk about making the positive arguments and are you a simplicity lover or an abundance lover? I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I live in New York City, and talking with me is my sister, the sage, Elizabeth Kraft.
1: And I'm going to use my intro to plug Gretchen's new book about habits better than before, (laughs) which I guarantee will make you change your life.
0: Oh, what a nice sister.
1: Buy it. Let's have an update on updates. If you remember in episode two, we talk about the idea of updates, which was an idea my mother had, our mother, And we've been getting a ton of emails about
0: it and tweets about it and voicemails about it. So you want to discuss? Yeah. The idea of updates is my my mother had this insight that when you know a lot about what's going on in someone's life, you have a lot to say. But when you rarely see someone, you just say, what's going on? Oh, nothing. What's new with you? Oh, nothing. Um, And so we decided that we would all do these family updates every few days when we would just... Give each other updates. And a lot of people have written to ask, like, exactly how do you do it? Like, how exactly uh, do you structure it? And what exactly do you include? And do people answer? And what's the exact frequency? Yeah. And, you know, our only rule is that it's okay to be boring. That's our motto. Um, we do it very loosely, just kind of every couple days and you just sort of throw in anything you want. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short and we almost never answer each other, which is such a relief. So it's just fun to see it, but you don't feel any pressure to actually respond.
1: Yeah. And I would say if you're a bigger family and you have a few people in the family who are lazy about responding, don't nag them about it. Just let them not respond. And whoever, you know, is into it, can do it. And I guarantee those people still like getting those updates.
0: And I and I'm, we've heard from a lot of people saying that they were really intrigued with it. And so let us know if it works for you, because this idea of update seems to be something that's catching people's fancy.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, Elizabeth, let's start with a suggestion that you can try at home. And this week, our try this at home tip is to make the positive argument.
1: What does that mean? exactly? I sort of know what you mean, and I sort of don't.
0: Well, so there's this funny thing about the way our minds work. You could kind of call it the phenomenon of argumentative reasoning. And it's when we decide that we want to argue some thesis to ourselves, some proposition, we're really good at marshalling arguments. like We're really good at advocates. But the funny thing is is that if you were to argue the opposite to yourself, you would be just as effective. Ah. And I use this idea of make the positive argument when I find myself like making almost like accusations. Like, I'm not, I never, I'm not getting enough work done. So if I think, oh, I'm not getting enough work done, then I think of all the reasons why I'm not getting enough work done. But then if I say to myself, wait a minute, I'm getting a lot of work done, then I can feel all these new examples crowding into my head. It's almost uncanny how it works. Like, And I often do this when I'm feeling resentful of my husband or something. So I think right. to myself, oh, Jamie never helps us get ready for trips. And then I think, wait, I just try to make the argument, Jamie does help us get ready for trips. And then I, I, I think of all these examples then when I'm making that argument.
1: Things he has done to get ready that you just don't consciously think about.
0: Right, because if you argue one thing, you're full of examples and you think, oh, I objectively arrived at this conclusion. Oh, look at this. I have all these points on my side that prove that I'm correct. But then if you just flip it over and try to argue the other side, you can come up with just as many arguments that way.
1: Yeah, I find myself using this with telling myself, I'll often tell myself, oh, I'm such a bad mother because of this, that, and the other thing. I didn't do this, I didn't do that. But then if I think, well, how am I a good mother? Oh, well, I drove around, you know, for hours getting the right party favors for the gift bag because I knew Jack cared about having Darth Vader Pez, Uh, you know, then I go, well, I'm not such a bad mother. So I I totally get what you're saying.
0: It's like, how much of my disposable income have I dedicated to Star Wars? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Can't even think about that.
1: And then, you know, another good place to apply this is at work. Because I think it's easy to think that people you're working with aren't doing enough. But, you know, if you stop and think like a writer's room is a perfect example of a place where everyone thinks that they're contributing the most. Yeah. So if you think, well, they're, you know, especially if you're the boss and you think, well, people aren't doing what they should be doing. But then if you stop and think, oh, well, so-and-so had this great idea and so-and-so rewrote this scene and so-and-so took notes that were really helpful, you could start seeing that, oh, actually people are doing a lot. It's just that I'm stressed and tired and I'm not seeing what they contribute. And I think that can make a huge difference in the workplace of, how, of that sort of tension that can arise in stressful situations.
0: Well, and actually, there's a term for that, which is called unconscious overclaiming, which is a phrase I love unconscious That's overclaiming, great. which is when unconsciously you overestimate your contribution to a group effort. So, and it's hilarious. Like, they did a study of husbands and wives, and when they added up how much they contributed to housework, it added up to 120%. Mm-hmm. And then they did it with business school students that were working on a team project and it added up to 139%. Um, And so it's exactly what you're saying. People overestimate. And also the thing is, is like in your examples, people value, they tend, you tend to value what you do and you do what you value. And so if you think it's really important that people, that there's good notes and you take good notes where well, you think, well, that's really that's really valuable. Or if you think, oh, it's really important to have these moments of humor, and I added that. Well, I think I'm gonna give that more weight because that's what I value. And I see that I see that with J- my husband Jamie because, like, he thinks air conditioning is really important, so he'll do a <laughs> lot of work to get the air conditioning fixed. I think holiday cards are important, so I do a lot for the holiday cards. You know, so we both are like, well, look what you know. Oh my gosh, I'm going to these elaborate lengths for the team. Um, but like I don't really care that much about air conditioning, you know. What I mean? <laughs> so right, yeah. So
1: neither do I. Uh, but so the key is to make the positive argument argument both in terms of not being too hard on yourself, and make the positive argument in terms of not being too hard on the people around you.
0: Yeah, if you feel yourself feeling resentful or or coming down too hard on yourself, making the positive argument is a good way to counterbalance that um, in your head. Uh, So let us know if you do try this at home and if making the positive argument works for you. You can send me a tweet at Gretchen Rubin, to Elizabeth at Elizabeth Craft, and that's Craft with a C. Connect with us on the Gretchen Rubin Facebook page or drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or each week I put a uh, blog post on my blog that goes with each episode um, where I put links and photos and all that kind of thing. So if you want to comment, you can comment on uh, GretchenRubin.com. And don't worry if you forgot everything we just said or didn't write it down because it's included in the description of the podcast. So you could just look for it there. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones.
1: Gretz, you know I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day.
0: Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com/happier. That's n-o-o-m.com/happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com/happier to start your trial today. And here's a question to help you know yourself better. Are you a simplicity lover or an abundance lover?
1: Well, I think I get the concept of both of those, but why don't you sort of expand a bit and explain?
0: Um, Well, this is something I started to understand when I was working in in my book Better Than Before on the strategy of distinctions, which is all about understanding how you might be the same as other people, but you also might be different from other people. And so different circumstances might suit you better. And one of the very uh, pronounced distinctions among people is simplicity lovers and abundance lovers. So simplicity lovers are very attracted by the idea of less. Of emptiness, of bare surfaces, of empty shelves. Like I have my empty shelf that I love. Uh, fewer choices. Um, you are a simplicity
1: lover extraordinaire.
0: Yes, I am. Like I get overwhelmed if there's if there's too much stuff or too many choices or, or like yeah, I like simplicity. But then there's abundance lover, and they like more. They like overflow. They like choices. They like you know a full pantry. Um, they like to have more than enough. They often enjoy collecting things. You know, they're the ones that want to have like five different kinds of toothpaste, you know, because they're like, I want to just like, why not have a choice? Uh, So what do you think you are? Are you an an abundance lover or simplicity lover? I think I'm an abundance lover,
1: but within reason. I mean, I don't need five kinds of toothpaste, but I like having a lot of different shoes in my closet. Yeah. Even if I'm not going to wear them, I simply enjoy having them to look at.
0: See, that's interesting because to me it kind of stresses me out. But you do like you like just seeing that you get a satisfaction just from seeing that they're there and having kind of that range.
1: Yeah. Even though the funny thing is, I mean, I wear (laughs) basically every single day I wear sweats (laughs) or jeans and a hoodie and a T-shirt. Yes, you do. Believe me, my husband would like me to throw out all I have about 12 or 15 hoodies.
0: Here's the thing. You're actually wearing jeans, though, and I'm wearing yoga pants. So at least you're actually wearing Well, I wear sweats, too.
1: But I like having nice clothes in the closet that I could wear. It makes me feel a little bit more luxurious to have some things. It's like I say, I like having things in tissue paper because it feels luxurious to me. But at the same time, it's not like I want to fill my house with tchotchkes. You know, some people like to have a 100 figurines, right? you know,
0: but I but I think I remember you saying that you wanted like another set of China. Like to me, I would never I like why would you have more? It bothers me that we have, you know, what we have, I wouldn't want to yes. get it. But you, but to you that you're like, that would be nice.
1: Yes, even though, for instance, I don't even use china. I, I like the idea, you know, like I'm getting a new job, and I think, oh, I think for my job, I'm going to buy myself, a, you know, a few mugs in this china, because I like the idea of expanding my china collection. There's just a feeling. I mean, I think it is the abundance feeling. It makes you feel safe and like you have everything you need, and you don't want for anything. Um, whereas if it's too pared back for me, it just feels a little bit too sparse and, you know, as if things are lacking.
0: Well, and this is what's interesting, because somebody emailed me, and, and I thought that this, because a lot of times simplicity lovers and abundance lovers tell each other they're doing it wrong. Like, simplicity lovers are like, get rid of everything. And um, abundance lovers are like, you know, we need to spruce this place up. Um, right. and, and this this abundance lover emailed me and said, like, if I see a lot of empty surfaces and empty shelves, it makes me almost panicky because I feel like it has to be populated. Like, it requires, it, like, it needs action from me to kind of design it and fill it and, and make decisions. About what it's going to be, so like you say, it's for them. It's almost stressful when it's too, or you know, or you feel like you're too close to the edge of running out of things. And so, so again, it's not that there's one way that's right or wrong. A lot of times, we want to tell each other that we need to change or that we're doing it wrong. But it's what what circumstance makes you feel at peace and energized. I feel really energized when I get rid of stuff, but I know that like other people don't feel that way.
1: So really, it's about with this know yourself better. It's almost better to think about well what are the people around you so that you're not all just constantly in conflict with one another and if you like simplicity and someone else likes abundance just let it be and quit arguing about it and if it's your spouse well then good luck yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: no but then make
1: sure you have separate clauses no
0: but you're exactly right because the people constantly have conflict or like with my daughter Eleanor um, it's like she clearly loves abundance and she she covers every surface and I want to go through there and just like put everything away but if I do that like when she's away at school or her back is turned for 5 minutes. She immediately puts everything out again. To her it's not messy. Everything is very carefully arranged and it's just it's just uh, it's just a matter of a different preference. So yeah, it's it's you're exactly right. It's it's about finding harmony with the people around you rather than like deciding that you have to commit to one uh, to one approach. One way to reach us is to leave a voicemail question for me and Elizabeth at 774-277-9336. Or easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336.
1: And Gretchen, today we have a voicemail question uh, from Jessica in Nassau County, New York.
0: Hi, Gretchen. Hi, Elizabeth. Um, I would like to know, why is it so hard to do things that make you happy sometimes? Like I can come home from work and I want to read a book. I have intentions to read a book all day, but I'll come home and I, I won't read the book. I'll do everything but. Do you know why this is? I know it'll make me happy, but sometimes I just can't.
1: Well, it's funny, Gretch, because I could have I could have asked this exact same question down to it being about reading a book. I feel like I'll have a book <laughs> I'm dying to read and all day I'm just gonna oh I'm gonna get on the couch after Jack goes to bed and just read my book for three hours and then I don't.
0: Right. So what yeah, what is that? Okay. So it could be a couple of different things, but this is what I think that it is. And this is related to the four tendencies, which, again, is another thing that I, I came up with about around my book, Better Than Before, um, about habits. And the four tendencies has to do with the way a person responds to an expectation, outer expectations like a work deadline or inner expectations like reading a book for fun. And this takes a second to go through, but I'll uh, hang in there. And and a person who who wants to read up on this, there's a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com, if people want to take a quiz to find out which of the four tendencies they belong to. But a lot of people can just tell in a flash. So in a polder tendency are people who readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they keep a work deadline. They read that book without much fuss. Then questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So in a way, they make everything an inner expectation because they'll do it only if they Think that it's sensible. They hate anything unfair or arbitrary or unjust. Then o- obligers, and I think this is what the Jessica is. Um, are they readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. Um, and I'm going to come back to that. And then rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do. Well, it turns out that the obliger tendency is the biggest tendency. Most, this is the one that most people belong to. And this is something that they will often say, like, I, like during work or other people have these things they want me to do and I have no trouble getting them done. But when it comes to doing something that I just want to do for myself, meaning my own inner expectation for myself, I really struggle to do it. And listen, you're an obliger, and you had this exact experience with reading, you said.
1: Yeah, I have it with reading. Yeah, I mean, I am the person where if it were a homework assignment, I mean, it would have been read yesterday. I, I hate having it hang over my head. But if it's for myself, it's harder. And I, I can think of this in terms of cooking. You know, I've been saying for years that I want to cook. You have been saying that for years. I mean, no, I've quit even saying it to anyone because it's (laughs) embarrassing at this point. But of course, what I, all I probably need is a cooking class or, you know, some other thing where I have to do it. And I would love to be like you and be an upholder because you're the ultimate upholder. You do everything people want you to do and that you want to do
0: yourself. Well, here's the thing. I mean, but but you put your finger on it when you said, like, take a class or whatever, because the key element for obligers is to create some kind of system of external accountability. And once there's external accountability, then they have no trouble meeting that expectation. So, for instance, what could you do? What could Jessica do to, to read a book? Join a book club where you're really expected
1: to read the book. By the way, she could even probably, if it's just some specific book she wants to read herself, is tell her office mate, hey, I'm going to read this book tonight and let you know if it's good. yes. And then she would probably read it just because somebody was... In her mind waiting to hear how the book was.
0: Absolutely. Or if she could if she had a family or like like a little kid, often obligers can do something if they feel a duty to be a role model for others. So you could say some, you could say to yourself something like, Well, I'm gonna sit down and read on the couch because I want my children to see that reading is a valuable thing and I want to model that behavior for them. Great idea. This is the thing about obligers. It's all about that external accountability. And obligers are so ingenious at thinking of ways to build that in. And so instead of just trying to change your sort of your attitude and make yourself decide or want to read the book more just figure out plug in some kind of system of external accountability and it works and one thing people can do is sometimes it's helpful to be in a group of, because a group gives you that kind of external accountability and on my site gretchenrubin.com there's a starter kit if you want to start a group for people who are going to hold each other accountable and it could be for anything you want you know it could be for any kind of habit or any kind of behavior it's just like just knowing that someone is going to be holding you accountable then allows you to follow through with that behavior.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who's got an accountability partner and what she's answering to is, you know, did she uh, get a massage, (laughs) you know, buy a new outfit because she has trouble doing anything, you know, for herself. You can have an accountability partner for anything from exercise
0: to Uh, You know, a date night. I mean, it might sound silly to hold yourself externally accountable for something like having a massage, but it's actually very wise because for an obliger, that's really, really hard to do. They need that external accountability. So you just plug it in and then you're fine.
1: Okay, Gretch, it's my turn this week for a happiness demerit. And this was one that I think everyone is going to relate to. Ah. Uh, and it has to do with sunscreen.
0: Okay. Say no more. Uh, I'm in, I'm in. Um,
1: it's, we all look, I live in LA. So sunscreen is really important when you live in LA and especially now that we have no winter at all. Uh, and what I find is I am constantly under applying sunscreen, both to myself and my son. Yeah. And it's not that I don't care about it because I do, but I'll have this internal debate going on. Like, should I put on sunscreen? Is it not necessary to have sunscreen? Well, it's cloudy. Can you really get burned through the clouds? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, recently we were on vacation and I didn't put enough sun. I didn't reapply Jack's sunscreen. And then I spent hours worried that he had gotten a burn. <laughs> and then, you know, and it's just, why didn't I just put on the sunscreen every single time and reapply when necessary? Uh, because I spend so much time feeling guilty about not having applied enough sunscreen. It's just, ridiculous. Well,
0: part of it is, it's just kind of, it's sticky. It's a pain. If you're doing it to a little kid, they're like squirming. If you're doing it to yourself, I just don't like the feeling of sunscreen. I know. I mean, I wish if anybody's got any good ideas for like excellent sunscreen, because maybe there's some kind of magical product that makes it easier to put on, but it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's easier. It's less draining to just do it than to not do it and let yourself off the hook and then fuss about it.
1: Yeah. And then if you think about it, like the long, long term, it's so important that it's worth just doing it now and not feeling guilty about it. So I, so, you know, my goal is to from here on out, just put on sunscreen myself and anyone else who needs it, (laughs) you know, when necessary and, and quit thinking about it all the time.
0: As a redhead, I kind of just stay in the shade as much as possible for yeah. myself. <laughs> that's, that's... Well,
1: we all know what happened in your youth when yeah. you're st- uh-huh. still trying to get a tan. And yeah. That is something
0: no one should see. Yes, I learned the hard way. that it's You uh, did. Yeah. yeah um, that's...
1: Anyway, so that's it for sunscreen. Tell us, your, what's your gold star, Brett?
0: Well, I want to give a gold star to this government program. It's in the United States, but I think other countries have similar programs um, that speeds you through security. Like ah. I hate security lines. And I heard about this thing, TSA PreCheck which is it's very confusing the nomenclature here because it's I think I think if I understand it correctly the domestic program is called TSA PreCheck and the international program is called Global Entry but then they ask you for your known traveler ID anyway I'm not 100% sure that I have the wording correct which drives me crazy by the way but um, this is this program and it is a pain because you have to go in and have your fingerprints done and be examined and but it's very it's a very cursory appointment but you do have to show up in person and in some cities, that's harder than others. I'm lucky I live in New York City. So for us, I didn't even have to go out to the airport. I think in a lot of cities, you go to the airport. But in New York City, I could do it just like a, in, in the city on a short trip on the subway. But it's one of these things where for a little bit of effort that you plan in advance and can kind of organize in your day, then you buy, you just get gigantic gigantic benefit
1: so what is the pre-check what 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 is the upshot
0: so in most airports now are major airports there's a special line so you don't when you go through security the line is much shorter you don't have to take off your shoes you don't have to take off a light jacket ah. you don't have to take your laptop out which is huge for me because as you remember i had that searing traumatic experience where oh. i left my laptop behind in a security bin as i was going through security Ugh. and uh and I, it was a miracle. My I, stomach gets in I know, knots. I got it back. It. it was amazing. But it was white. It was in a white bin. I just walked right away from it. So anyway, so now I'm very paranoid about leaving something. I get very flustered in those lines. Like, I want to be so fast. And, I do, too. You know, am I going to leave my ID behind? And where's my boarding pass and all that? So TSA PreCheck, you just zip on through. And then... Uh, Because I've been on my book tour and I came in through internationally, it's just this very short line where it's kind of a self-serve kiosk where you can go through and there's just nothing as deeply satisfying and gives you such a feeling of gloating as just zipping through a line like that and so i really urge people to take do a little bit of research to see if in their city it's something that they can do because it's one of those things where for a little bit of inconvenience one day you could save yourself a massive amount of inconvenience down the down the line i
1: could honestly say that if you had if i had the global entry i would be more likely to go to europe than i am now because the airport is such a hassle.
0: Well, and you just stand you stand in one line for 3 hours one time and that like for the rest of your life, that's what, you th- that's what you're expecting. That's the negativity bias, that we're very much more influenced by negative events than by positive events, and they stick in our memory better. So you have one negative event like that, and you're right. It just sort of makes you feel like uh, it's going to be a huge pain every single time, even if that's not true, even if it was just one time, that one really inconvenient it sort of dominates your imagination.
1: Yeah. I'm going to turn this gold star into a try this at home for myself.
0: Oh, good. No, do it. You'll be so glad. I've been telling everybody to do it because it really is. It's, it's it's completely worth the effort. TSA PreCheck Global Entry, give it a shot. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Make the positive argument. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you.
1: Thank you to our producer, Henry Malofsky. And as always, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer from Panoply. And as Gretchen mentioned, each week on her blog, GretchenRubin.com, there's a post that recaps what's in the episode, so be sure to check it out and comment there.
0: And also, our friends at iTunes have created a one-stop page where you can subscribe to this podcast and find e-versions of all my books.
1: One of those books, Better Than Before, is out now and comes highly recommended from myself.
0: <laughs> that, thank you, Elizabeth, for that plug. Um, and so that's easy to remember. It's iTunes.com slash Rubin. And they also said some, uh, some unbelievably nice things about my work there, um, which I very much appreciate. Um, and of course, you can also subscribe to this podcast in Stitcher or any other podcast app by visiting panoply.fm.
1: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft.
0: And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.
1: This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire
0: roster of podcasts at iTunes.com panoply.